and welcome to the Fundamental Value Podcast, hosted by Joshua Frank, co-founder and CEO of The Tie. On Fundamental Value, we speak with leading analysts, traditional finance and digital asset firms, and investigate how leading minds in the cryptocurrency space, research, analyze, and quantify the value of digital assets. Quick disclaimer, this podcast was recorded and is being made available solely for informational purposes. Today, I'm excited to be joined by Eric Rose, head of execution, and Drew Foreman, head of Cowan Digital at Cowan. Uh, Eric and Drew, it's great to have both of you guys on. Thanks great a lot for on. having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. We, we were having a little bit of technical difficulties earlier, everyone. So we had to switch from our normal recording software to Zoom. So it's not perfect. We apologize, but I promise our guests are perfect and we're going to have a great <laughs> time. So, you know, let's get, let's get right into it. So um, you know, I, you know, why don't we start with with you, Drew, just because you're at the top of my screen. Uh, can you provide a bit of a background on yourself and how you how you ended up co-leading uh, digital asset efforts at Cowan? And then Eric, maybe you can 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 follow up there. Yeah, absolutely. I think the uh, the technical difficulties seem to be following me. We had a uh, an Ethereum podcast with uh, Roel Paul. My computer shut out right before it started, so I think uh, you can blame <laughs> me on this one. Something something <laughs> karmically. Uh, but Cowan Digital. So I was running the uh, options team and derivatives team at Cowan. So equity options, risk arb, and cash ETF trading. Um, Eric was running execution and trading on those products. And in pandemic during 2020, we finally got the go ahead after sort of years of p- pushing to trade Bitcoin options to start exploring crypto as, as an asset class. So we formed the Cowan Digital Working Group late 2020. That quickly and organically grew to um, 40 or 50 people at Cowan, spanning a lot of different groups. Um, and then fast forward to today, we're live, a separate company still under the Cowan umbrella, Cowan Digital. And um, we've been live trading since the beginning of this year. Um, and it's been about 18 months to 24 months of hard work. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, I would... Uh... Add that my my background similar to Drew's uh, 24 years of trading, listed equity derivatives at a various uh, banks. Um, joined Cowan in 2017. Uh, Drew joined shortly thereafter. So uh, heavy derivatives background, but uh, but always been involved in crypto personally for probably uh, five or six years. Uh, and then we uh, we got into uh, into the Cowan Digital buildout. So how did you guys actually get approval to go into crypto early? Because you know, a lot of banks um, have been very slow and, and very hesitant. Like, you know, there, there are a number, and we don't need to throw names out there that have said they've in crypto, and four or five years later, they're just trading Bitcoin options, and there's no custody, there's not much else. And so, how are you able to do that? And like, how are you able to make uh, such a strong move? Move because I think a lot of others are citing regulatory concerns and other things. So, how how do you guys get comfortable with you know moving into crypto? I think you see a lot of the other big banks re- really excited to make press releases about what they're thinking about doing, and and really no one else has jumped into the space. Cowan really has has a history of being a you know a top ten investment bank that sort of flies under the radar of of these larger places, but also a real entrepreneurial spirit and teams like compliance and legal that are really business friendly and and want to find solutions to being able to bring new products to market. So biotech in the early 2000s, Cowan's been a leader since then, um, SPACs, derivatives, and, and, and cannabis as well. And it's really just the ability to bring together so many different groups in such a complicated asset class to bring it to market. So 
what we did was we created a, a separate company, um, Cowan Digital, that's outside of the broker dealer because crypto is regulated by many different agencies in the US and internationally has different regulatory environments. And, and that allowed us to really build this under under an umbrella where it was regulatory compliant. Are you are you just serving clients in the US or are you serving clients globally? No, we're fully um, we're fully international. So we're licensed in in much of the US. We're pending our New York State Bit license, which hopefully um, we'll get soon. We're applied in Canada. We're able to trade for clients in the UK and are exploring the rest of Europe and, and Asia as well. And so what is Cowan Digital, right? I think we've kind of alluded to it a little bit, but you know, what services are you guys providing specifically? Uh, and how are you differentiating versus a lot of your competitors? Like who I think are traditionally are the competitors of Cowan are definitely not the competitors of Cowan Digital. So I'd love to kind of get uh, you know a little insight there. Yeah. Um, so I mean, Cowan Digital really is effectively a mirror image of of Cowan for what we do on the equity side. So um, to say we're a, a crypto investment bank is probably a misnomer, um, but effectively trying to build the white glove service for execution, um, content, corporate access, investment banking, all the services that we provide for our equity customers and, and, and institutional investment managers in their decision process. So part of that is obviously the execution piece. So that's going to be spot trading. There'll be some creative ways to trade spot. That'll be borrow, lend, and shorting. That'll be swaps. That'll be derivatives. So traditional financial products for the digital space. Um, content, as I mentioned, we have a digital data scientist on our team uh, who does great work. Uh, he does some deep dives. He does uh, weekly um, weekly notes, uh, and he's building a, a fantastic data warehouse. Uh, and then our investment banking team, which is on the equity side, has taken two miners public, but is also looking at doing advisory work um, in the digital specific space. And then finally, for our, for emerging hedge funds, uh, capital introduction, which is something a service that is sorely needed in in the uh, crypto space. Um, again, these are all services that Cowan does very well um, across our equity platform, and we're building those out specific to digital. And I don't think we've seen anybody really put all of those pieces together yet. I think there's some I didn't realize you guys were doing so much. So I have a lot of questions. <laughs> I'm super excited to dive in. I mean, that's awesome. I mean, cap intro, absolutely sorely needed. I think corporate access is really interesting. I think a lot of the things that you're talking about uh, are definitely needed in the space. Um, so who do you... I mean, I guess there are people that are competitive within specific areas that you're Correct. focused on, right? Some folks are competitive on trading. Some folks are competitive on banking, but no one seems to be... I would guess that the closest would have been Galaxy had the BitGo acquisition gone through, but given that it didn't, they're not the you know they're not they're not in that in that area. But how many assets can you guys actually trade at this point, and how do you envision that expanding over time? Uh, so right now we trade twenty eight tokens. We just listed fourteen more uh, support for fourteen more. Um, in, can you uh, go short on all of them? Not yet. So okay. the the workflow for borrow, lend, and short is about eighty percent of the way done. Okay. Uh, so we're hoping to roll that out sometime in October, uh, which will allow that. I, again, the shorting of of smaller cap tokens is not the easiest. It's not a it's not a tra direct translation. That's why, that's from, why I asked. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's it's not a direct translation from traditional finance where you just call up another prime broker and or another dealer and say, hey, can I borrow your uh, you know your ABC token? It's uh, it'll be a little more difficult to to source some of those. So I think we'll probably focus on Bitcoin and Ethereum and some of the large cap layer ones to start. As being available to short, and then as the as the plumbing gets better, 
Um, you know, again, a lot of the a lot of the retail focused holders of these smaller coins are kind of having problems right now. So it's uh, it's an interesting build out. How do you how do you quantify institutional volume, or how do you think about that? Um, it's got to be more than a couple million dollars a day. So we, we'd like ideally there to be at least kind of 10 to 15 million dollars of, of trading volume. Um, but again, even measuring trading volume across global exchanges is, is, is very hard to do. Um, and because we can't access all that liquidity of 300 plus exchanges and it's just uh, the market structure is kind of a mess. That was actually my next related question would be like, could I post an equity as collateral to take out a crypto loan? So not yet. <laughs> not yet. Um, it's a little complicated just based on the different um, different regulatory bodies regulating right. crypto and equities. However, you know we have been able to execute some interesting trades where clients have been able to sell Bitcoin through Cowan Digital, buy GBTC through Cowan Prime Brokerage, and custody the the GBTC long through through Cowan and traditional investment bank. And I think that, along with the Cap Intro and some of the research services, are products that the crypto natives haven't had access to. And so. One of the things which I thought was interesting, uh, you guys are uh, have chose PolySign for custody, and I've actually been seeing their name pop up a lot recently. I think you guys also invested in them, if I'm not mistaken. So, um, what? How did you think about you know finding a custodian? You know, did you guys think about building your own custody solution, or were you from the get go thinking about finding you know finding a custodian to partner with? So, Chris, as to your thoughts there, and and how you got comfortable with somebody. I think this is all super important. And if you look at the way traditional capital markets developed and matured, we were trying to plan for that. So if you look at like a lot of these retail platforms that you could say are our competitors, if you equate that to like the New York Stock Exchange, where you would deposit funds in the New York Stock Exchange, use the New York Stock Exchange app to trade with your New York Stock Exchange salesperson on the exchange, and then they would also custody your, your stocks, this would be a crazy concept. And that's that's sort of the workflow for some of these retail platforms without naming names. We think that the mature business- And more, and, and issue you a credit card, yeah. and mint an NFT, right. and, 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 and. So yes, I'm, I'm And keep you. it all, half of it in an Omnibus wallet and on exchange with hot wallet risk. You know, we wanted our customers to be able to have the ability to choose which custodian they trade in. So our workflow is- to custody agnostic in the sense we can trade into any wallet. We can trade into a self-custody wallet. We can trade into a Coinbase wallet. Um, and we can trade into a PolySign standard custody wallet. What we did want to offer is an integrated solution for customers who wanted it with a platform that really holds the same values as Cowan. So one, top-notch security and custody platform. Two, institutional only. And, and standard custody, which is the DFS trust license company of PolySign, has all that. Um, it has best in class um, MPC and HSM technology to be able to custody assets. They custody a range of assets um, and are able to add assets relatively easy to, to service our customers. So we led their Series B financing um, back in 2021. And then they had a really interesting opportunity to acquire MG Stover, which is the largest fund admin in the crypto space. And Cowan Digital alongside Revan Howard, GSR, and Soros were able to help fund that acquisition. So we're essentially giving clients fully integrated fund admin, custody, and trading solutions. However, we're not only trading into standard custody wallets, and our customers can trade into multiple wallets. But we do have that integrated solution and some workflow synergies um, available for them. And so, you know, you guys actually already hit on part of what my next question was, which is how do you envision your product suite expanding over time? 
So curious to hear that, but also curious, you mentioned cap intro, really curious what the appetite you're seeing is um, from large institutions. Has it changed at all with the market? Obviously, I think broadly speaking, people have tightened their belts with the broader macro correction, right? I think it's not a crypto specific issue if I had to guess, but curious as to what you're seeing on the cap intro side. Obviously, all the funds in crypto want money, but do all of the all of the real institutions want to give them money and where are they kind of at? So I'll let what Drew, why don't you handle the cap intro question and then I'll I'll handle the roadmap question after that. Absolutely. I think when you looked at what we were originally trying to accomplish, our roadmap was mainly hedge funds and asset managers and traditional finance institutions. And this crypto winter has has sort of slowed down their adoption directly. Um, but all of them have working groups. So if you look at the you know 100 billion to multi-trillion dollar asset managers, they're at all the conferences, they have working groups, they're, they're vetting systems like Cowan Digital and PolySign and, and their strategies will be deployed um, as this asset class grows. Hedge funds have been trading, they've been in and out. There's been a lot of spin outs of hedge funds and pods um, within hedge funds that have become crypto native, so they're active. And then there's this subset of the crypto natives who've been trading for years. Um, they don't necessarily need anyone to trade, um, not someone like Cowan Digital, to just execute. However, all of the other things that we're doing really resonates with them. So the fireside chats, the the introductions to capital, the ability to utilize our, our data warehouse and our digital data scientists. Um, and there's a real appetite from allocators to get into crypto. I think um, the direct allocations to tokens has slowed down, but they're all very involved in venture capital and as part of venture capital, they're getting tokens, they're getting comfortable with the space. Um, and through this crypto winter, there's been a lot of market neutral and quant hedge funds that have performed extremely well. So in a, in a tape where almost every, every asset has gone down, if you look at this market, there, there's really been nowhere to hide. And especially if you're, you're international um, with the currency moves, some of these quant hedge funds have had stable returns throughout throughout this, this cycle and we're seeing interest to allocate um, and especially allocate to managers with track records. So there is certainly an appetite from family offices, pensions and endowments to allocate to, to some of the funds that we're putting in front of them. Um, and you know we're choosy, we're not, we're not doing cap and show as a, as a paid for service or anything. So we're really dealing with our partners that we think are good investments for these family offices. And we're seeing a lot of, lot of investment interest. So is it mostly on the family office side then where you're seeing like the readiness today to allocate? Yeah, I would say the family offices are a little bit, especially the, the more sophisticated ones are a little bit more nimble, but we're also seeing some of like the larger um, hedge fund names that that you wouldn't think um, starting to dip their toes and allocate and either bring, bring managers in-house or, or allocate to quant funds because a lot of the backbone of that, um, the opportunity in, in the digital space is a lot more ripe than in the equity space where these funds have been and, trading. And are they allocating to other funds years. because it's hard for them to feel comfortable from a compliance point of view to be trading crypto themselves directly or it's not? Yeah, I think I think there's a, there's a general comfort with investing in funds. There's somewhat of a fear at times to invest in your own balance sheet given taxes or accounting or, or just reputational risk to, to allocating to actual tokens. So and are you I think in the coming the months we'll see that side or from with LP with outside capital being allocated to other funds. I think both. Um, certainly, certainly all of the the founders um, who believe in crypto are allocating their own capital to the space. Yep. Um, but I think you're also seeing LPs have an interest in diversifying. 
And I, and I would just add on to that. You know, I think when you think about like the kind of initial investors institutionally in crypto, it's really been on the private side, whether it's picks and shovels and kind of infrastructure plays. And we've seen obviously, you know, the the, the valuations for private companies uh, certainly gone up quite a bit. Um, but those are the same allocators that are also now moving into the crypto space, but they don't want the, they want direct exposure, but they're, a lot of it, it's not even directional exposure, to be perfectly honest, right? That That hasn't come yet. That's going to be what we hope is the next level, right? Like right now it's low, low vol market neutral strategies are, are certainly getting and attracting funds guys who are like, yeah, I'm two X long, you know, Ethereum and layer ones, not yet. And I think that'll come. I think as, as, as the product gets more robust in terms of assets to trade more regulatory clarity, which we can obviously get into later as being one of the biggest blockers, um, you know, I think you'll see more money go into directional strategies as opposed to just kind of financial products. Yeah. And and I'm curious on a lot of those market neutral quant related strategies. I mean, I assume that their capital, there's, there's capital constraints with, with a lot of them. No, I mean, like you're, are they infinitely scalable strategies? From no, I think they're they're definitely not infinitely scalable, at least in this current market. And we've certainly talked with plenty of funds who who talk about, you know, a limit on that, you know, not really liberty to say what that is, but like certain strategies may have a $200 million limit or a yeah, $500 yeah. million limit. But again, like you're talking about strategies that are are basically arbitraging inefficiencies across the space. Yeah. Um, and whether those are MEV strategies or whether they're, um, you know, liquidity pool staking and, and, and stable coin, um, there, is a, there is a cap right now. So again, that goes back to the, we need more assets to trade part of the category. And so to the question that I was, you know, I get it through two <laughs> questions at once then added a couple extras. So I apologize. Um, it's super interesting, by the way. Um, uh, but product suite expansion. So we've talked about a lot, but where do you kind of see, you know, the offering being 36 months from now? Wow. 36 months. <laughs> I don't know, 36 I months in, in, in crypto terms. So yeah, I, I mean, 36 months, months, months in crypto terms is like now. next week. Yeah. Um, but you know, bring uh, bring online. I think derivatives is actually going to be a, a really big lift. I think if you look at the market structure right now for derivatives, um, and I'm not talking about perpetual futures, more so on the option side. I think that that's you know institutions need to be able to hedge, um, and they also just want to enjoy trading volatility products. And that market is not mature yet. Um, you know, you have Deribit, which only doesn't service any U.S. customers, and you have a lot of customers who are based in the U.S. Um, you don't have a U.S. based exchange, so all the all the option trading for U.S. customers is on a bilateral OTC basis, right? And so that requires balance sheets. So your your current crypto native service providers have a you know their ecosphere is this big. When you look at like equity options and OTC structures that trade in in traditional financial products, you have giant banks with giant balance sheets behind those. So that market to me is not mature yet. And I think that's a huge opportunity set for not only for us, but for others to get into. Um, and that will be a, a significant driver. We're hoping to have that work stream up uh, early next year. Um, but that'll be a big one for us. Obviously, borrow, lend and shorting, but that's already in the space. But even in the lending space, you know, we, we just went through a whole mess, to be perfectly honest. And, you know, we need some sanity for this product to be remain, you know, at, a, at an institutional level. So, so I presume lend. you guys are not doing uh, fully uncollateralized no. loans without tracking uh, other counterparties' no. balance sheets. No, there'll be no uncollateralized loans coming coming from us. But you know, it, it'll be a traditional matchbook type style. Um, but again, over collateralized significantly, risk controls in pro in place that will you know continuously monitor what's going on. And that's not to say that the other firms don't have risk controls, but 
clearly there was there were some things that were were not working. Um, so our goal is to to bring that kind of working um, feel to it. So borrow lend derivatives. You know, I think there are some interesting ways to go with with DeFi. I'm not sure from an institutional level. I mean, maybe structured products on DeFi protocols could be something that would be interesting, offering investors the ability to generate returns from those protocols without actually giving them the access to it. Um, you know, NFTs, I'm not even sure where we go with that, but I'm sure there'll be a way for us to to figure out how to- Has anybody how- asked about NFT custody yet? Uh, yeah. Actually, yeah, I think that that's certainly something uh, our our partners at Standard Custody are working on. Obviously, it's a different different token type, um, but yeah, I think there are institutions who want to own NFTs. They're they're trading them. They have bots that trade them. Um, they're going to want to custody them. And so, you know, my next question, which you alluded to with the regulatory piece, which are what are some of the difficulties or challenges that you've encountered so far? Uh, you know, building out your uh, your crypto operation, and then what are the challenges that your clients have faced in building out theirs? I think you know the biggest challenge is the lack of clarity in terms of who's regulating what. Um, and we, you know, we've dived head into wanting to be the the sort of gold standard in, in regula- regulation. We are we are not trading with New York customers until we have our New York State Bit license, which I think. Um, is not industry standard. We are getting all of our international licenses. We're working with our current regulators to make sure what we're doing is is in a compliant way. Um, I think when you get some some clarity around the tax treatment and accounting, that will bring new entrants into the space. I think just the confusion on holding digital assets, even even buy and hold on your balance sheet as a an asset manager or as a corporation, is confusing. And once you see more clarity on that, you'll see more people come into the space. But Right now, if you are in California, you can trade crypto without a without a license. In New York, um, the New York State has given out something like twenty bit licenses in the last ten years. I think they approve. What you know. what is the what is the time frame? I mean, I remember it was like twelve months a few years ago to get a bit license. Is it worse now? Is it the same? yeah? I would I would say it's significantly worse, and I don't I don't know that there is like a a standard timeline. I think. You know, the application is tens of thousands of pages and all of these policies and procedures we have in place or we've built out new ones. So um, it's almost a, a good barrier to entry in terms of needing needing sort of institutional capabilities to come into the space. I, I don't know that they're going to approve many of the applications that are out there ever. We have multiple outside councils. That how we're how many with states to are you guys us. working in today? So we're licensed, is it 32, Eric? Or 30, 32 states don't require an MTL. Uh, we have five additional MTLs, um, and New York State is the biggest one pending. But once once we get over, once we get through New York State, we'll I think we'll be able to transact with approximately 90% of our institutional customer base. What's second to New York in terms of needing an MTL? Like in terms uh, of where the base is? Florida, Florida, probably. Yeah, I was going to guess. Yeah. 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 Florida needs an MTL, Puerto Rico, um, even Washington DC. So it it is it is relatively confusing to to try to figure out which states to uh, apply, and we're we're hopefully going to have money transfer licenses in all in all fifty. Although I think Hawaii is actually the most complicated, um, so <laughs> it might be forty nine. Right for the two customers. Sorry to all of our Hawaii based <laughs> listeners. Uh. It's uh, it, it's not our fault. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it's super confusing, but I think the more regular regulatory clarity um we welcome it and i think it'll bring more institutions into the space you know if you look at 
outside of just the asset class as an investable asset class, you're just seeing a huge shift in brain power moving from web two to web three. So a lot of these technologies um, are not just going to be tokens. They're going to be actual real world applications on the internet or gaming or ticketing or banking system. So you're, you're going to have to see um, some of these tokens come in in a, in a compliant way to be able to be traded. And so in terms of the client base that you have today at Cowan Digital, how much of that has come from Cowan versus new folks that haven't previously done business with, with Cowan in any regards? And is that surprising in any way? Yeah, yeah I, I, mean, actually... I, I think it's 50-50. Okay. Um, I am surprised at the adoption by crypto natives, or I, I, I am surprised versus where, where we were a year ago. But now we're in, we're involved in the ecosystem. Um, it's really interesting that you know we've made four or five other investments outside of PolySign, and it's just really great to be involved in the ability to get in on some of these deals because of what we can bring to the table, either partnerships or bringing family office relationships or, or ability to help them raise money. Um, so I, I, I'm surprised at the, the crypto native adoption, and now I, I welcome it, and, and I really enjoy dealing with with a lot of these potentially even more sophisticated investors than we are. Yeah, and and I would say that the probably one of the the things that surprised me the most in terms of this is is maybe not appreciating how slow moving traditional large asset managers are. Um, we certainly have have, have welcome been, to my life. <laughs> we we've we've been in front of them. Um, we made a lot of progress, and I and I would say you know most of them are are looking at digital in some way. Right, it's very hard to come across an institution at this point that isn't doing the work, whether it's coming from a, a 25-year-old portfolio manager or analyst, pushing it up to the top, or just seeing what's going on in the market. The the informational calls that we have with customers at, at, at the very high level is, is enormous. So, you know, not everybody is ready to onboard today because they have to change their funds or they, they're an endowment or they're a pension plan and they need state clarity. Like there are a whole lot of roadblocks for some of these super large asset managers to onboard the the, the product. On the flip side, I think the crypto native hedge funds that have surprised us because we've actually onboarded them not only for the digital side, but they're they're super happy to onboard with our prime side so they can trade miners and they can trade equities. So it's it's actually, you know, we we've gotten a lot of inquiries of, hey, you trade digital, but you also trade equities. This is great. We can do both with you. Yeah, it's uh it's it's amazing as if it's as if crypto isn't the only financial product out there. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like sometimes we get stuck in this like trap and thinking that like crypto exists on its own. It's like, well, no, it's like a fraction of a percentage of the world's assets, right? So it's, you know, we're still we're still relatively small. That makes sense. It's actually interesting that you mentioned that because we, I mean, we hear that all the time from our crypto native clients that they're absolutely trading, uh, they're trading, you know, mining stocks, they're, they want to trade Coinbase or anything else. That makes a ton of sense. Is there anything else specifically that's driving them uh, to you guys beyond just just equities and like anything anything in particular? Is it is it the cap intro piece? Is it like what what specifically? It's all of it. <laughs> all right, fair enough. Yeah, no, we, no, I mean, we, listen, we call I, it the Cowan bear hug. Like we yeah. have, when you're a hedge fund at Cowan, like you have access to macro research, you have access to the best healthcare and you know pandemic advice. I think as crypto is maturing, it's becoming correlated to other assets. Whether it should be or or not is is to be determined. Um, but because of that, I think they're also gravitating to everything else that Cowan can offer. So when we can put a dinner together where we have our head of 
Washington Research, who has you know a pulse on the elections as well as the the, the crypto um, lobbyists and the crypto regulation, and have people from like the top hedge funds who understand macro paired with someone who's running a quant fund in crypto who can have access to this information. I think that's that's really interesting to them. So it, it's really the whole package. Um, and you know, every day we're learning and adding new things that we can do to to help our clients. And then I would also add in the, the content, which you know I can't say enough, enough positive things about David Kroger, our, our digital data scientist, but really trying to be um, thoughtful about the the product in terms of understanding that we all we've all have an institutional background. We all kind of understand what we think institutional money managers are going to want to see in in terms of the research product. So um, you know our analysis uh, we think is is pretty good. Um, and David pairs that off with fireside chats with with um, executives from protocols, and you know we'll we'll spend you know David will spend an hour with a customer talking about some you know NFT project because he has a lot of of, of depth of knowledge across the space. But being able for customers to actually get somebody on the phone and and bounce ideas off of them, you know, you're not really getting that with you know other services um, out there. So. You know the content is certainly a big piece and then the banking side also like access to venture capital deals and access to banking products we actually have a special sits team that that trades bankruptcy claims they've been trading mount gox uh bankruptcy bankruptcy claims for years so um there's really just a, a wide variety of ways that that we can help and i think that 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 attracts people to us and so um as you guys may or may not know we're in a bit of a bear market in crypto <laughs> uh and so <laughs> has that impacted your strategy at all? Has it slowed you down in, in any way? Has it changed your direction at all? Uh, and has it slowed down onboarding a bit from where it was or where you anticipated it to be? I think a lot of the, th you know, bear mar bull markets, someone, someone said this quote yesterday, bull markets are super forgiving um, and bear markets aren't. So a lot of the activities that were happening, the uncollateralized lending, we were never going to do that. So I think this bear market's really allowing us to build um, build the way we want to. And I think a lot of the standards that we have, the industry is coming to us. I think um, our clients are really asking for a trusted counterparty to to lend to and they want to, to lend to or borrow from and they and they want this counterparty to have the backing of collateral. I think when you're only trading with crypto natives in a in a bear market, your your assets may not be there when you need them to pay out. Um, so in that respect, it's been it's been great. Um, you know, it's allowed us to take a step back with a lot of the asset managers and really prep and plan them and and win those mandates for when those large allocations come to market. Um, but to be fair, it's certainly, you know, it's it's an asset class price and basis points and lower dollars means, you know, less less trading is out there. And it certainly has shifted um shifted the the accounts that are onboarding towards more of those quant and crypto native and sophisticated hedge funds. Um but we're 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 long-term greedy. We're in this to build. Um, and I think the bear market's a perfect time to be building, not just for us, but for a lot of a lot of the companies in the ecosystem. Yeah, we, we've definitely seen a slowdown in some people's process. We've seen other people accelerate. Maybe they, you know, we think that they have a similar view, like this is the best time to be doing it. Um, some people definitely got scared, but most of the people that we've spoken to haven't like cut off the the product line. They're not like, oh, we were looking at this, but now we're not. And most of it is, you know, we're we're just taking a pause. We still we're still doing our work. We're still doing our infrastructure build out, our DDQs. We're sent, you know, a lot of the stuff is still going on. It definitely slowed. Like it'd be, you know, foolish to say that it hasn't. Um, 
But the reality is, I think that when you're building an asset class for many years to come, this is an opportunity. Painful one for our personal accounts, but. <laughs> you and all of our listeners. So. <laughs> um so, you know, you guys have mentioned, uh, you know, this heavy data science approach that you've taken to, you know, the, you know, providing uh, commentary around tokens. I'm curious as to how you think about education, because you mentioned 50% of the client base is crypto native. Their educational needs are very, very, very different. Uh, and they're more sophisticated. I mean, they're, they're incredibly sophisticated, right? I mean, they're, they're the ones that have been in the space for five, six, seven years versus your more traditional clients. And so how do you actually strike a balance there? Uh, and where do you think there's more of a gap within the market? Yeah, I'll, I'll take a quick stab at that. But, um, you know, I think that you're right. that We have multiple constituents to to address. So like I, when we talk about our weekly notes, um, you know, it's how, how weedy do we want to get in a particular token? Like that's going to appeal to a certain base, but we are trying to educate. And I think actually, and one of the things that we've learned over the last year and a half of the build out is... I would say almost 70% of our job is is education at this point, right? It's going into an asset manager. We've done, Drew and I have done presentations for entire asset management groups where they bring in 50 people internal to the fund to learn about digital assets. So I would say that education is a huge part of our job overall, not just what are tokens, but how to trade them, how to custody them, what is the infrastructure? Um, and I think that that education process will be going on for years to come now because if people just... They haven't done the work or they don't want to do the work and they need somebody to put it in front of them. So we have decks for, you know, people who've never traded a coin before. We have a 30 page deck that we can put in front of somebody um, and that goes through what is Bitcoin? What is what is Ethereum? Um, and then the other decks that we have are a little more focused on execution trading and what do we actually do as a service? So it's a it's a huge, um, huge thing for us to think about. Our deep dives are not um opinion pieces right now they're actually education pieces so we have three deep dives out one on polygon one on avalanche and one on ethereum um you don't see a, a buy recommendation and a price target on it that may come down the road but right now we're trying to build a library of of information that our customers can access um when they need to and then they can get on the phone with david and follow up and have questions on it so it is very heavy Again, David can focus on super weedy stuff with with the with the super smart crypto natives, and then you know sit there and tell somebody what is what is Bitcoin and what is Ethereum. Yeah, I think it's I think it's really important. I think oftentimes the folks that are within the crypto industry get sucked down this rabbit hole, and we make up all these dumb terms for everything. Like every like everything is so much more complicated than it needs to be. And I think it it you know, and that's the approach that that we try to take at the company is like okay you know, a hard fork is kind of like a dividend, right? Like a token burn is kind of like a stock buyback, right? And try to contextualize this information because I think it's incredibly important because by creating all of these weird terms and things that are just simple, right? Like all these on-chain metrics and all this different stuff, it's like, well, that can be explained in English. You know, this, <laughs> you know, this is kind of like a 13F filing, right? This, this transaction we just saw on-chain and things like that, right? I think we open the world to, to so many more more folks that are kind of scared off by, you know, all of all of this unnecessarily complex language. Yeah, I agree. I think a lot of what you're seeing is tech or fintech PMs start to use valuation frameworks to look at these tokens, and we'll we'll start to see building longshore portfolios in the same way that we have longshore portfolios and equities. Um, 
but we're also learning a ton from our clients. I think we're never the smartest people in the room and, and that's by design. So our clients are helping us. And frankly, they're helping each other. We, we've structured a lot of really interesting trades that we didn't even touch where we've put together you know, a consortium of clients who are able to, to look at sophisticated trades and, and teach each other and be able to, to trade them within their network. So a lot of it is the network effects of being able to bring, bring in people with diverse opinions and, and frankly, diverse abilities to get trades on. And so, you know, you mentioned long, short PMs moving in this space. And so my next question is around fundamentals. You know, certainly I can trade assets with Cowan. I can custody assets with Cowan, but do those assets, are they, are, are they valuable? Or do they, is there any fundamental behind them? Is there anything backing of it? And how, how do you guys think about fundamentals in this space? And how has your understanding changed over time? You know, I think the merge will be looked back on as a huge catalyst in the space. And, um, I'm paraphrasing a lot of what Roel Paul said on our a recent podcast. We had him on with our um, Ethereum deep dive presentation, but it's going to give investors a massive asset class that's investable that has sort of a risk-free rate in crypto. Um, that's a staking yield for earning an asset. So, like you said, earning dividends and stock buybacks. You know, you'll potentially have the biggest or one of the biggest assets in the class in the asset class earning a yield, and then you can sort of look at other protocols based on you know their speed and throughput and and different value lock metrics um and value them against but each does that other. mean it's fundamental just because it's yielding more of its own native token which is also known as inflation does that mean it's <laughs> it's it's fundamentally value is there a fundamental reason why somebody should hold this or why the token should accrue value in the long run like not asking specifically about eth but more broadly how are you thinking about, like, how do you even start to think about valuing one of these assets as an investment as opposed to a trade? Because obviously a trade is very different from an investment. Yeah. And and I think that the the initial trading is really viewed it as just another asset, another asset to trade, right? So a yeah. lot of the, the market neutral and arbitrage strategies. I do think that there is a valuation framework. It's actually one of the things that, that uh, David's been, you know, building is building a you guys, uh, by the way, are the best wingmen ever for David. Like David <laughs> owes both you guys drinks for life. Like you just take him to a bar and just start, you know. We we, and, we can't think highly enough of. Uh, we've of got that. him on a tough travel schedule, and he's uh, <laughs> he 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 works for Starwood Point, so um, this is all he gets. But yeah, so he's he's tasked with building out um, a, a data warehouse with which to really analyze the space differently. So we we take discounted cash flow as the the gospel in equities. Maybe that's not the gospel in in digital assets, right? So again, it, I don't want to veer too much towards the you know pets.com and and eyeballs and whatever measurement that that we came up with to justify the internet bubble in in '99. Um, but there are different metrics with which to value tokens, and the network effect is something that is quantifiable to some degree. We're going to find out. I think that we're we're working on a valuation framework framework with which investors will be able to use as part of their investment thesis again you know at some point something has to generate revenue i you know how they end up doing that at some point um or just the network effects like what is what is what is it worth to be part of somebody's network you know it's it's there's not there's no specific dollar transfer to be in a network but there's value so you know that is something to fundamentally think about and yeah, there's, so yeah there's please. definitely the store of value argument um there's the currency argument. And on, on top of that, there's the technology argument. So I am not sure 
where valuations stand. Um, I'm a big believer in the asset class. I think we will start to see real cash flows accrue over time to token holders. What I am sure of is the the things being built on these layer ones and layer two are real. And um, just as now with all of these web two applications, you're not looking at what the underlying code of TikTok versus Instagram is. Um, there's going to be real user experiences and those are going to be blockchain based. And, and from that, we're going to see the asset class emerge as, as highly investable. So where do you, where do you see real value in crypto today? Like what has some fundamental underlying value and does it even matter if that exists today or not? I mean, I, obviously ETH is going to be the biggest one for us to focus on. You know, I think that it needs to get faster before it's really usable. Like, obviously we like, you know, Solana is a fast chain, but sometimes goes down. Avalanche, excellent technology. So I, I do think that these are core investment in your portfolio, right? Is to have layer ones that are the ones that are, you know, effectively the internet, right? You're owning the internet and there's going to be multiple winners there. So I don't, I wouldn't want to pick one. I'm not going to go out on a limb and say one's better than the other. There are, better aspects. So, to, so what do you think about the the fat protocol thesis, which is kind of what you're alluding to there, right? Which is the idea, you know, with the internet, the value didn't accrue to the HTTPS layer. It accrued to AOL and it accrued to Apple and Google and all the things that were built on top of it. Do you guys think that the value is more going to accrue on the protocol level with your Ethereum and your avalanches? Or do you think it accrues more on the application layer in the long run? Go ahead, Drew. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I think there's an argument for both. Um, and to the analogy, these aren't of, trick questions, by the way. No, I, I, it, it's <laughs> no, I, I, I think. Yeah, look, I'm a big believer in Ethereum. I think, I think it, it can be, you know, a large portion of the market. I think the amount being built on it is great, and I think the tokenomics, like you said, um, the fact that we're going to get an asset that's potentially deflationary and pays um, accrues cash to token holders, I think, is massive that will take more adoption. And I think there are a ton of layer two scaling solutions that, you know, we'll, we'll see the fruits of those labors. Um, in terms of like the other layer ones, like if you look at, you know, now we, like you're saying Google and Facebook, when, when the internet first started, it was Ask Jeeves and, you know, Netscape and all of these companies that don't exist today. So it may be the case that none of the, none of the protocols that we're talking about now end up being the winners, but I do think the asset class is over time going to accrue value and and you know we'll see how that develops but I, and i also think that the the premise that that value will accrue not just to the content creators obviously but or the protocols that are built on it but you know i do think that more it'll be more evenly distributed than than it currently is right obviously http https doesn't generate any revenue and amazon takes all of our dollars um so you know, I think there'll be a blend there between the layer ones and the protocols and then the users. I think the users will be generating value. Your your use of yourself will have a will have value. And I think that that's a, the the third piece there um, or the third premise of Web3. And so, you know, what has surprised you most um, during this winter um, about about, you know, the market, about digital assets, you know, anything, anything crypto related? Um, I, I'll, I'll, I'll take a stab at this. I, I think that the speed with which the asset class corrected itself following some of the turmoil <laughs> back in May, June was kind of stunning. Um, you know, I've, I've been 
in markets for a while and I've seen some some really interesting things over the over the last 25 years but the the speed with which that things unraveled back in May June was was pretty epic um but the fact that we were came through it I think was actually the 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 best part of that is is again you know protocols didn't fail like the system worked we we cleaned up we cleaned up the bad actors and we're ready to move on and I also think that had this happened when there was more widespread adoption of crypto within the financial system, the effects of that could have been way, way, way more. And so, you know, I was surprised with the speed with which it happened, pleasantly surprised that we're able to kind of come together and come out of that, uh, hopefully, and, you know, that we're still here to do this. So definitely surprised by that. Um, I'm also a little surprised by the the slower adoption from traditional finance. Like you said it early on, um, you know why 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 aren't more funds going to this this alpha generation that can be done here? You know what? Why why are they still stuck in in tradfi? Um, there's a place for every asset in somebody's portfolio. I'm just surprised there hasn't been more adoption. Yeah, and I I think you know to add to that like. It's really a great community, you know. The, even even in the upturn and the downturn, you asked the first question. I think where who are our competitors, and I would say that no one is is a pure competitor. And derivatives, I can tell you, are forty nine competitors, and we we literally go head to head with them um, for a, a pool of assets and a pool of pool of trading commissions. And and in digital, like all of our competitors, so called competitors, are potentially trading partners and lending partners, and and. There's really just a community around wanting this asset class to work because I think that will lift up everybody. So we're super early. I think this can work for a lot of a lot of different companies, and it's exciting to just be on a call with with anyone, be it someone offering sell side services or buy side services or an NFT company, and five minutes into a call, finding ways to work together. And um, I, I loved all those answers, by the way. I thought they were all. I thought they're all great. <laughs> I may take those if anybody asks me asks me the question in the future. But I, I really like the point that you brought up, Eric, which was the fact that this asset class crash, asset class crashed so fast, um, and that actually really surprised me as well. Thinking back on it, right? Like, you know, we've been talking about the market becoming more institutional, more institutional, more institutional. But does that speak to the fact that crypto is still majority retail? Do you think that's the reason for that, or? Well, listen, if you think, I mean, the the 3AC um, unwind was, I mean, almost perfectly analogous to the Archegos um, situation in equities, right? And you had you had a firm that was went outside of, you know, crypto and borrowed in the traditional sense from as many people, many lenders as you, they could possibly get, right? That's, that's a TradFi concept of over lever, massive over leverage. Um, so I don't think, that you know that retail side of it really is a, was as much of a fact as you know smaller institutions clamoring over themselves to get a piece of the action and then finding themselves on the wrong side of it. Um, and again, those weren't some of them weren't robust, some of them weren't you know well risk managed. Everybody wanted a piece of it, and and you know they all got burned by it. So um, you know that to me, that's not a retail phenomenon at all. That's that's pure institutional greed right there. <laughs> Yeah, and, and you know it is it is an interesting asset class that was formed with retail, and then you just had like an explosive Fed. You had Stimmy. You had um, aggressive people with nothing to gamble on, and Dogecoin and and Shiba Inu and and Twitter, and it was created the perfect storm of a crazy bull market, and then uh, you know a delevering that we haven't seen before. Um, 
which which probably overshot or may still be overshooting. Um, but the system worked like it should. Ethereum hasn't gone down ever. Bitcoin has never gone down. Um, and that that part of it's exciting. And so do you think the asset class becomes less volatile? I, I think obviously it does over time and in, in the very long run, but do you think in the next 12 months it becomes less volatile or you think it remains uh, to be volatile? And do you think that this changes at all behavior of participants in the market being washed out on overlevered trades or will that just continue? Um, <laughs> I, I'm sure the markets will always find ways to to give leverage to, to those who want it. Um, <laughs> that's just kind of a, you know, the history of Wall Street is littered with uh, over leverage. Um, you know, I, I do think that we will, um, we'll see some more adults in the room, I hope, in terms of just managing that. And, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, liquidity is really going to be the driver of volatility. Um, you know, it was two years ago, you'd have a Saturday night and Bitcoin would be down 20% on a margin liquidation on Binance. Like, you don't really see that anymore. And why is that? Because we have institutional market players who've moved into the market making space and who are making markets on all these different exchanges. And so the ability to arbitrage one exchange's liquidation, um, you know, instantly happens. So it, that 20% drawdown now becomes a 5% drawdown or a 3% drawdown. So just institutionalization of liquidity has helped to dampen volatility. Um, and I think that as more participants come in, more liquidity will come in, and I think volatility will will naturally go lower because of that. I do think there are exogenous events out there that could cause, you know, significant dislocations of asset prices. But in terms of just day to day, you know, volatility of the asset class, it should trend lower over time uh, as it is adopted by more players. And so, two final questions. This one I wanted to ask earlier, but I forgot to, which is risk management in crypto. Um, how, you know, as you think about portfolio risk or even risk for you guys as you're as you're you know on the principal side, can you bring over risk management frameworks from the equity side or from the derivative side into crypto? Are you need to build crypto specific risk frameworks? Like how are you how are you thinking about it? More on the obviously there's the smart contract risk side, but I'm thinking more on like the market risk side. I think. I think you definitely can. I mean, we cut our teeth the last five years on small cap biotech and Padufa dates and you know 50 percent moves that that were priced in all the time. Um, so we're we're akin to these these types of moves. What I would say is the space needs more development for institutional tools. Um, we have surprisingly had to build a lot of the things we're looking at in house. So all of our you know our internal OMS for managing cash flows and collateral. That's all been built in-house. Um, you know, the reason we invested in PolySign is a lot of their technology had to be built from scratch. That's that's why the company was started. Arthur Brito, who um, founded the Ripple Ledger, wanted a way to custody some of his own assets, and you know, there wasn't anything great out there. And um, we invested in a lending platform called Digital Prime, which which is helping us build out all of our all of our lending infrastructure. And there's a really robust infrastructure in, in equities, securities, finance, but there's there's really nothing off the shelf that that firms can use, um, and everyone's building in house. So so, yes, over the next 12 to 24 months, we're going to see a lot a lot of products that are out there able to use for people to manage risk, and I think it will be bringing in a lot of what we use and have learned from traditional finance. But frankly, there's not a ton out there, and and there is a need for the institu institutionalization of that. 
Yeah. And, and just to layer on that, you know, at the end of the day, the, it's another asset and it trades and it's volatile and it may be more volatile than other, more volatile than other assets, but you can still manage risk around that as long as you have the tools to, to measure the volatility and the real time measurement. So the risk policies that we have in place certainly had their blueprint in our equity and our fixed income risk management policies, because that's how we manage risk across the firm. So whether or not we apply um, more stringent, um, you know, profiles to to these assets. Yeah, we do. Right. But it's still going to be, hey, what is the most pain tolerance we're willing to take on a move? And what is that percentage move? And and, and that's how we work backwards. So I think the, the tools are there. They need to get more robust and they certainly need to be more uh, adopted across the space. So my final question, what is your hottest take right now? Ah, I'll let you, uh, you're, you're going to pitch uh, some, some, no, I'm going to tell you something. No, I hear, um, this is your opportunity to pitch, pitch the micro cap in your PA. So. No, <laughs> no, I would never pitch phantom. Um, but, um, no, I think, um, I, I think a lot of people have been looking for DeFi gaming to really take this, the, the, the next leg up for, uh, for crypto. Um, and you know, I just don't necessarily see that occurring as fast as people want. So that's a little cold water on a, a negative theory that it's taking a little bit longer. Um, I do think that something like the Solana phone, I think, is is really interesting in terms of addressing the 7 billion mobile users, um, which I think is really the future of of where we need to go. We need we need usable um, use cases for for blockchain. And, you know, if you can figure out how to get a, a blockchain uh, operating system up there and get it in everybody's hands and on, you know, get that screen in front of them, I think there's a there's such a huge uplift to that. And I think it's going to take a little bit longer. And I think it'll probably take a little bit longer than most people When's want. your Solana phone being delivered? <laughs> <laughs> I can't tell you that. Um, <laughs> but but I think in concept, I think that it's it's really speaks to where where we're going to go. What about you, Drew? Yeah, I mean, in terms of how to invest, I would say go big, like heavily weight the top five to 10 layer ones. I think that they're going to all outperform and all outperform together. You know, I, I'm a big believer that Ethereum going proof of stake is is going to work and really lift up this asset class. Um, unfortunately, we're, you know, we have to deal with the macro tape and, and crypto is not going to rally until we sort of get a handle around interest rates and, and see a rise in, in some of these other asset classes. And on the private side, you know, we just met with a really interesting security company today. I think that will be the biggest space going forward is figuring out um, ahead of time a lot of a lot of the flaws of some of these protocols and systems, um, analyzing trades. That that space is only growing, and you know there are a few players now. I think there will be a lot of winners in that space. For so from the VC side, I would say that infrastructure play is is going to be huge. Cool. Well, this was awesome. I learned a ton, as I'm sure others did. And you know, hopefully everyone listening wants to learn more about you guys, wants to reach out. So where can they where can they find you guys and and, and find out more about the offerings? Eric, give them your uh, home address. You, no. can, <laughs> uh, you can find out, uh, you can go to the, the Cowan website. Well, um, it may take a couple of clicks to get there, um, but, but you know, contact information for um, the Cowan digital team is, uh, is on the, the Cowan.com website. Yeah, we'll we're, drop that in the we're both on LinkedIn and um, would love to get institutional players added to our distribution and start a conversation. Awesome. Well, this was great, guys. I, I, I learned a lot. I appreciate having you guys on. And uh, yeah, thanks for coming on.
Thanks awesome. a lot, Josh. Thanks, Josh. It was good to see you. Take care.